Welcome in, welcome in to the Bite Me podcast. John Lopez sitting right here. Captain Scott Null sitting across from me. And wait a minute, that's not Caleb McCumber. Hold on now. That's not Caleb McCumber. That is one Captain Dean Thomas all the way from beautiful Aransas Pass. And uh, I'm actually going to see Dean this. My wife and I are both going to come down and see Dean this weekend, but uh, that's going to be fun. I'm sure there will be pictures and stories and uh, hopefully not a broke ramp confessional, but if there is, we will share it next week on the podcast. You never know. You never know uh, how those boat ramp confessionals are going to come at you. Uh, but this is the Bite Me podcast. It's going to be a great episode. Uh, Captain Dean, uh, kind enough to join us uh, via Zoom from Aransas Pass. And uh, we'll, like I said, we'll have pictures and such from this weekend when we get down there. But uh, Captain Caleb, I believe he's scouting. Last time uh, I saw a, a picture from him this morning when he was texting in Venice, I believe he's scouting for a tournament or something. Um, as, as we like to say in this business, looked a little sporty out there, <laughs> looked more than a little sporty. I'll get y'all's thoughts on that in a second. Uh, frankly, I would have turned around the minute I saw those clouds, but, uh, that's just me. Uh, good questions from the podcast listeners this week. Um, uh, they don't call me the popping cork King for nothing. Uh, the first question is about, uh, using a popping cork, uh, going through the thought process of that, what to use, how to use, et cetera. But as much as I like to uh, fancy myself as the popping cork king, I'm sitting across two dudes that uh, probably still know uh, more than I do uh, on using those. Miradines, we've heard about those a lot. Uh, this might be something that Scott is going to really uh, dig into uh, because that is something he, he's very, very quite familiar with. Very, very quite familiar. I went to the school of redundancy school. Um, proper handling of a tarpon has been a hot topic. Uh, that's going to be addressed today on the podcast. Stingrays, good question on that. And a good one from uh, our guy, Dean, uh, the moon phases and ties and why they're more important now than ever. And of course, we'll get into some other stuff uh, along the way, but we like to dig right in. So this hour is an hour spent, uh, well spent. And of course, what would Scott do and what would Dean do this weekend? I'm particularly interested in what Dean would do this weekend because I'm going to be with him. Uh, so we'll get to that at the end of the podcast. You better not lie to us, <laughs> Dean. But uh, you, uh, first thing first, out, Dean, welcome you'll in. You'll find man. out this weekend, yeah, the, week, the <laughs> results will tell the story. <laughs> the results, will, I'll tell you if his advice, his advice was, was good, uh, as always, um, the Bite Me podcast, you can catch it and subscribe. We highly recommend it on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And of course, all these questions, if you're new to the podcast, uh, all these questions, most all uh, come from the Bite Me group page on Facebook. It's an easy search. Uh, just search Bite Me Fishing on Facebook groups and uh, it, it should uh, pop right up. But Scott, uh, before we get into the topics, I'm looking at that picture that Caleb sent. I don't know if you saw it, Dean, but Scott, I'm looking at that picture that Caleb sent this morning. He's going to do some uh, scouting event. I said, "What are you doing? What are you, that, that was that was ground storms, storm clouds." I saw that picture. I thought yeah. that was something that he downloaded as a joke from somewhere else. No, he was driving into it. I understand that now. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Scott. Well, we all know he ain't right. <laughs> he ain't right. That's what you say all the time. Um, but good luck there. I guess it's a tournament he's doing. He's scouting. Yeah, he's getting ready for another one redfish tournaments over in Louisiana. And I mean, you do what you got to do, but man, I don't know. I, that, lightning doesn't does not uh, thrill me very much. Those and storm clouds. As soon as I see that lightning, I'm done. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys have looked at the radar this afternoon, but 
it is like a circulation straight over New Orleans today. I mean, there are bands and it is quite a large circular storm. So yeah. um, they They're knew it, somehow, inches of rain. somehow Mother Nature knew that Caleb was on his way. <laughs> You got the memo. They did get the and they memo. need to have one of those tournaments over here in Port O'Connor for me so I can get a little rain. Yeah, yeah, because you exactly. know, Caleb shows yes. up, it's going to be uh, more than a little sporty. Uh, no question, man. I, I swear, I, I wasn't kidding, I would have just turned around like, well, man, maybe next time we'll do some scouting. All right, let's get into it. Um, I'm just going to defer to you guys, uh, as much as I can. I've got some very strong thoughts and a lot of experience. Uh, with uh, all kinds of fishing, but I do really enjoy the popping cork, but still, uh, Dean, I'm going to start with you. That's a very popular thing down there, uh, in, in the Aransas pass Corpus, uh, Rockport, uh, area. Uh, the question is this using a popping cork, please go through your thought process for deciding what soft plastic to use shrimp, paddle tail, little John, uh, twitch bait, uh, whatever you may be doing, but, but give us your thoughts, especially as in that clear water down there. Uh, and, and what you guys are doing, what generally you guys are doing, uh, with the popping cork. And it's something that I don't do very often, but I do get feedback from guys who do it quite often. I have a couple of friends that will fish the deeper grass beds of Estes flats, like near the, um, the drop off near the intercoastal where it's like three or four feet. And the thing of, it's the same process where you, because the water's clear, you just want it to look like something realistic. The DOA shrimp, absolutely perfect to hang under a popping cork. It looks like a shrimp. It acts like a shrimp. And when they come to that popping sound, it's what they expect to see. So those work really good. I mean, I've never really seen of anybody having success where they hang a, a paddle tail or those type of things on there the way a shrimp does work. But it always is related to much deeper water. I mean, you won't see people doing that in the ultra shallow flats where we drift, where top waters are effective because you're not pulling fish from the depths and you're not hanging something down into the depths. But on the deeper water, the deeper grass beds, I mean, it's, it's a deadly effective tool. And the same process works for the clear water. You want it because they're going to see what they're eating. They're not just coming to the vibration. They're actually going to see it. So if it looks like something they expect to see, you get a better reaction out of that. Scott, I know uh, tournament fishing, uh, you're quite familiar. Um, I actually use uh, popping corks as much for trout as redfish. And I got a little thought on, on flounder as well, but your thoughts. Yeah, I always used it when it was dirtier water. I didn't use it so much when, when we had good clean water, you know, their, their sight, uh, you know, just being able to sight cast and catch the fish that way. Uh, they're keyed more into finding it by sight and you get in that dirty water around Galveston, Sabine, places like that, that pop sure helps. And mm -hmm. it, it brings them over there to it to see what's going on. Uh, I've had success using curly tails, uh, a white curly tail is because they they hear the pop they come over there and that dirtier water i think they're just looking for anything that's moving and that curly tail even if it's not actively being popped at that moment is still going to be moving and wiggling a little bit and on the fall you know you pop it the the lure rises to the top and then it slowly falls back down real light jig head and 
so it just kind of naturally falls there. And like Dean said, they show up looking for something to eat because they heard a pop. And to them, that's that's another fish feeding is the whole reason they're coming over there. And how we had it this week where uh, we had a whole school of redfish and we got into got into them and the fellow hooked one up and that fish was thrashing on the top. And we had four other redfish trying to take the bait away from yeah. it. Yeah. So, and that's what it is. It's competition. And so that's what you're trying to imitate. And then you want to give them something nice and easy to grab. And, and so this is, this is where, you know, I always add a thought or two uh, just to kind of advance the conversation with you guys, but this is one that I, I, I've had a ton of experience with. We all have our, our go-tos. I usually start uh, with the off the bottom or a top water or corky, depending on the year. But I, you know, the popping cork is kind of my default, especially if I want to wake them up. One question I get a lot and um, really bouncing it off of you both as well is how long is the leader? Um, and I've, I've talked about it on here about my arm's length, which is a little over two, a little longer than most people like to put. I've had a lot of success that with that, especially in Sabine, Scott, you mentioned Sabine, uh, and, and Trinity where the water gets a little uh, dirty and I have my most experience, you know, in, in dirtier water, uh, because of what you just said. Now I will say this, um, I've defaulted to it in clear water in, in, in trout green water in, uh, dark water. Uh, with success. And I think there's a misconception, Scott, that it is a redfish tactic. It, it, it's great on redfish, especially with a gulp, but it, it, I've caught a number of enormous trout uh, with a popping cork be, because of that. It, it, I think people tend to get these thoughts in their mind, like, well, that's for this and corkies are in the winter and popping corks are for redfish and topwaters are in the morning. You almost have to kind of, uh, I guess, reprogram yourself or get away from what the common uh, thread is or the common, uh, you know, the, the thought that people have on certain baits. Well, the deal is that's what it was in the beginning. It was trout. I mean, that's what everybody used it for. That's what they use. Um, Louisiana, that's a, a staple. Uh, the redfish thing kind of came along because of the tournaments. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of migrated over to, well, that's just a redfish thing. But no, it started off as a trout uh, trout method more so than anything else. Mm -hmm. And as far as like kind of reprogramming yourself, Dean, you've heard them, you know, a corky, I know you don't throw corkies a lot, but corkies, you know, wintertime and, uh, low and slow and, uh, you know, top waters in the morning and real calm water, which I actually don't like to throw them in too calm water. And we've talked about that on this podcast and, you know, just your thoughts on just kind of, you gotta, some of the, 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 the predominant theories out there, I'm not going to say they're wrong, but they can be uh, misleading because, as I just said, the, the, uh, regarding the, the popping cork, it's not necessarily, oh, that's redfish. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, the, um, the more likely scenario around here is for speckled trout. Mm -hmm. um, there is no doubt. Um, the redfish, of course, became a byproduct of that, but originally, you know, all the guys that were throwing a popping cork were putting the shrimp on there and going for speckled trout. And another interesting thing, thing that Scott said a minute ago about the fish coming after the fish that's already hooked up. Yesterday, we were out drifting and we were throwing some topwaters and catching some good fish. And they were in small schools, like threes and fours together. And every fish that was coming in fighting had a second and a third one trying to bite what was in their mouth and take it away from them. So 
the competition factor when they're in that kind of mood, it really does help everybody. And the popping cork, it just turns all those senses on. So I think there's days when you can have a variety of things having under it. The days that they're picky, much like this season we're dealing with right now, um, it helps to be specific. Yeah, it does. Uh, last thought on this, because Scott mentioned uh, the curly tail. Uh, this is something, this this is one of my secrets here. Uh, everybody has a secret, right? Uh, you mentioned not a whole lot in shallow water. If I get into some flounder, Scott, um, and it's a finicky bite, as we all know, and you have to really know the bite and all that, I'll shorten the leader on a popping cork to about 10 or 12 inches. And I won't whip it like a, like a popping cork to make that sound, but just kind of just sideways pop it a little bit. You see the bite so much better in shallow water when you're in flounder with a popping cork. Now, I'm not actually using it in a, quote, classic popping cork sense. It's you see the bite better. You can see the flounder uh, taking it and, and actually, you know, because they put it in their mouth, as we all know. Uh, so you can use a popping cork just as a tool to, to, to get a better bite. All you're doing is suspending it off the bottom and being yeah. able to work it slower for, for a flounder. Yeah. It's, it, it works. It works. It works well. It works well with that short. So that was just one thought um, there. And so, okay, let's get – I want to get your thoughts on the Miradines, Scott. Uh, the question um, I'll read, it says, I've heard you guys talking uh, about uh, – I've heard you guys talking about uh, Miradines, but unless I missed it, how are you supposed to work them? I've tried them a little, but don't have a lot of confidence in them because I'm not sure I'm doing them right. Also, does it matter spinning or bait cast? So uh, one of the things that I, I think he was talking about also is that he tried a, uh, um, he tried a top water. The bites were just blowing up, but not, not sticking. So he put a Miradine on there and didn't quite know how to work it. Uh, if that's happening to you, just work it the same way you work at top water. You know, just little twitches, pauses, twitches, pauses. Um, he asked about using a split ring on there too, if mm -hmm. I remember right. Mm -hmm. uh, now, just do a loop knot on uh, split rings. Adding, it sounds weird, but it's it's adding a little bit of weight. Might change the the way that lure moves a little bit. But you want that you want it to be free. And having that loop knot on there allows it to move a little bit better. But all you're doing is just twitch, twitch, pause. You know, kind of the same thing that you'd do with the top water. Kind of keep it moving. Uh, we've talked about working a corky that way. Uh, you you can work those things pretty much any way you really want to. But if you were getting blowups, doing something with the top water, make that exact same movement with a subsurface, and maybe give it just a little bit longer of a pause in between. Mm -hmm. and let it settle a little bit and then you count on them coming back and maybe smacking it uh dean i i don't think that is necessarily something that you use a lot but your thoughts on the on the you know the blow-ups and not getting uh, the hookups consistently on your top water yeah same thing um scott said you know make it move a little natural we just don't um, fish with subsurface lures, you know, unless they're absolutely weedless around here. The seagrass that we deal with is one of the biggest challenges on a day-to-day -day basis. So those types of stuff, it's like I mentioned, you know, corkies and those mirror lures that have a lot of trouble hooks and things that um, will sink or suspend. They just, 
when they hit the lure, you get three or four twitches and they end up fouled in the grass. So unless you're throwing them right on a fish's nose to where you're going to get them to jump on it and get a reaction, it's just one of those things we don't use that much. But when it comes to, you know, making a move naturally, letting it hang on their face for another half a second, you know, I've been dealing with that for the last three weeks with these hot fish. We get so many follows and so many blow ups that don't get hooked that if you vary that retrieve and if you give them another second to focus on it, you know, you don't want it running away from them. If you have right now, you have to have every advantage in your favor. And so loop knots, adjusting your retrieve and just really being persistent. It you, is you know, you're, right you're talking about that. Uh, and I'm try, I always try to think uh, in terms of our listeners and what they're thinking as, as they're hearing us. Uh, and, and my thought is, okay, so what does Dean throw there most often down, down in the clear water, down where, where the grass is? What, what, what is your, I, you know, I mentioned, you know, my routine, so to speak, what is your routine? What is your batting order? Um, my number one go. <laughs> it's our flats are cut. <laughs> our flats are custom made for top water fishing. We just have you can fish your whole life in one to two feet of water around here. So the top water is great. It stays above the grass. You're not pulling fish up from the depths. Those flats, because the grass is so thick, they're loaded with little bait fish. So it's what the fish expect to see there. It's a perfectly natural thing. And people ask me all the time, you know, as the morning progresses, what time of day do you switch from top waters? And it's like, it's not the time of day. It's where I'm at mm -hmm. that makes that decision. But then, you know, the second choice is um, soft plastics rigged weedless, you know, something that's going to drag through the grass, around the grass, something that you can stop retrieving let it settle down in the grass and continue retrieving and it will come out of there. So um, it's on a day-to-day -day basis where we spend 99% of our time, it is going to be top waters and soft plastics rig weedless. But there's also times when we move to those drop-offs where we have four to six feet of water. And then it's going to be, you know, a regular jig head with either, you know, a paddle tail or some type of a soft plastic that's going to sink down. So I don't experiment a lot with the corkies and mirror lures. And, you know, the, the one thing that we will go to, I have some buddies that I fish with pretty consistently, consistently, and they like the little crankbaits, like the baby minus one and the things that will run just a couple in, inches under the surface. And it creates a nice little wake. Um, but the bill, the lip on them will catch a few um, grass. You know, it can be a little more high maintenance. But the fact that we're in the ultra shallow miles and miles of grass flats, the top water is just custom made for this place. So I'm guessing, Dean, that what you do when you're fishing soft plastics and you said you want them weedless, that's going to be a belly weight or, or what are you, what are you doing down there more often than not? What are you and your cohorts doing down there more often than not? Yeah. I prefer the belly weight for sure. Um, it, it makes the hook ride um, up and that even adds for a little bit more of a weedless um, presentation. It keeps the hook riding straight up. And there are some guys, I mean, I have buddies that I fish with that will throw a jig head 
but that's a real special technique when the hook is exposed to keep it moving fast and keep it above the grass, way mm -hmm. more high maintenance. But when you're specifically talking about the weedless rigs, it's a wide gap hook. It's like a five-aught belly weight, usually has the um, little screw-in spring type to hold the top of it and really specifically designed for um, weedless rig up. You know, I saw some pictures of you uh, with some redfish you were you you had caught on the topwaters, and it had the single drop hooks. Now Scott uh, and I and, and Caleb have talked about you know just like to use them almost just to be, you know use the single drop hooks and replace the trebles, uh, just for the lack of a better term, sport of it. But I'm guessing that for you and people in the lower coast, it's also helps it get through some of that grass even on the top easier, right? Yeah, there's actually a multi-faceted uh, approach to the straight hooks. Number one is the grass to avoid a lot of the snags. Number two is they're really better on releasing fish. Treble hooks hook fish in the eyes. They hook them in the gills. They hook them in the abdomen. All those things. I mean, we release a lot of fish, so we try to make them swim away as healthy as possible. Third, they hook a lot less people. <laughs> yeah. When the boat, when the fish comes in, it's flopping and kicking. The trebles are just scary. Mm -hmm. um, but over the years, I have learned basically from fly fishing how effective one single hook can be. I mean, we catch the most exciting fish on a fly as well, which is just one little hook. So a lot of people ask me the question, what is your hookup ratio compared to trebles? It's like, man, just the same as it is. I've even come to the conclusion that it's, I mean, I'm not going to claim that it's better, but it is equally as good because when a fish comes up and hits it, the, the hook is just smaller and it does get them in the mouth or the lip a lot easier. So the fact that it harms less fish, works its way through the grass, less dangerous for people. It's just, it's all around a better setup. I've talked to the hook manufacturer, the lure manufacturers. I've had a chance to go, why don't y'all sell a lure that yeah. is already rigged up with single hooks? But they will tell you that it, it doesn't sell. It's people see more hooks and they think more, better lure. Scott, so, I know you're co-signing that because we've had that same discussion. I've, uh, I'm not going to, you know, sit here and say, uh, I'm very diligent about it. it. It takes, you know, every, about every three months, I'm like, okay, today I'm going to replace some hooks, you know, and I get the single drop hooks and replace my, my hooks on my top waters. But what everything he just said, it, I, I'll say it. I mean, I think it can be better, right, Scott? Yeah, it's, I think it's better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I get that same question all the time. You know, how's your hookup ratio? It's fine. Yeah. And I really don't notice that big of a difference. Uh, and I do notice that we don't hook a bunch of fish in the side of the face like we used to. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that's big time right there. Uh, last thing, um, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm going off of the, uh, uh, the rundown here a little bit, but it's always good because it, it, these are conversations that lead to, to another, um, wade fishing, um, down, uh, where we're going to be this weekend, Dean, uh, you, we all like to wade fish. We've all wade fished a lot, Caleb, uh, as well. Uh, I'm guessing with the, with the, with the grass and sand bottom uh, down there, that it becomes a little easier wade uh, in some areas down there. It's mixed up, man. There's some places um, 
that you can sync up to your hip if you're not careful. And there's a lot of places it's like walking on a sidewalk. And then hopefully, man, we might do that. We might jump out of the boat, man. I got a couple of great spots that for summertime are absolutely custom made for walking in like waist deep, hip deep water. And you're casting out to the drop offs. And if we got a little bit of low tide, we might end up doing that. But there's definitely a variety. I mean, we have um, some spots that you have to really be careful in. If you step out of the boat, you're in trouble. But we are blessed with a lot of hard, sandy areas. Yeah, that's been my uh, my memory of it. Yeah, Miles and miles. Uh, But there is a variety. I mean, it is a little bit mixed up. All right. Well, I'm going to bring my Wade Wright belt. I was anyway. Uh, oh, yeah, that. for sure. Yeah, yeah we, hopefully we, we, we do that. We love that. Uh, and, of course, probably a good opportunity since we mentioned it uh, for our listeners to go to CoastalFishingGear.com. Take care of our guys uh, who are taking care of you, Jason and Tim. So many compliments on that. And you can use the Bite Me 20 uh, code, B-I-T-E-M-E-2-0. Get 20% off. How about that? All right, Scott, this is uh, one that uh, you were chomping at the bit, so to speak. Uh, to, to get on the rundown and it's on me for not putting it before you mentioned, because it was, it's been a hot topic on the bite me group page. Um, I, I, first thing I want to know is your reaction to the picture, uh, that we saw on the group page, uh, without, uh, necessarily calling anybody out, but proper handling of a tarpon. Man, no, I see that. It just makes me cringe. Man. <laughs> it's like, God, dang. It, in what world is it okay to put your fist up inside of a, a big fish like that, put it up inside its gills yeah. you know, and, and hold it up in that manner by the gills. I mean, that, uh, I mean, I know it's been done for years. You've seen that picture. Everybody's seen the picture of everybody dragging a big tarpon over the gunnel, holding it up like that, and, you know, holding it vertical instead of horizontal. Those fish are not made for that. You know, their, their guts, they don't, we're made to stand upright. Mm-hmm. So all the tissues and everything hold our, you know, hold our lungs and everything in place. But a fish is used to being in neutrally buoyant water, you know, in the water. Mm-hmm. And so those tissues aren't near as strong in them. If you hold a big fish like that up vertically, that puts all the weight from the head down and squishes everything basically yeah uh, it's just not a good idea it's same thing you know with the big trout we're trying to get away from doing that you know where everybody holds a big trout up by a boga and holds it straight up and down it's becoming it's the knowledge is growing on what we're doing to the that's fish. why we're here man and with these tarpon I mean, there's a whole lot of guys that come out here and they're trying this tarpon thing now and this past weekend was really good and there was a bunch of tarpon caught and everybody's excited i get it you're super excited it's your first big tarpon whatever take care of the fish because they swim off fine yeah you know everybody well he swam off just fine but you've you've torn their guts up and chances are really good that that fish is either going to be sick weak uh get eaten by a shark because he's weak or he's just going to swim off and die somewhere Mm -hmm. uh they're just too valuable for that. And these fish are old. I mean, they're not, you know, it takes a long time to get a tarpon up to, you know, four or five, six feet. They're, they're, I think it, if I remember right, but I can't remember. Yeah. uh, I want to say four foot is uh, where they become sexually mature. And that's about eight years. Okay. And tarpon live, you know, they've got them up 40, 50 years old. Uh, 
so you're catching some fish that are older than you. <laughs> you know? <Yeah>. And, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, you're not, but uh, some people are. Uh, it's just, I'd like to see people get a little better idea about how to handle it. Right, tell us, uh, tell us. I mean, I, I remember it's probably been close to a couple of years ago. You had a, a, like the perfect, in my view, anyway, picture of a really big tarpon that you, you had gotten a customer on and it was on the side of the boat, still in the water. You pulled it up to get a good picture, but it wasn't vertical. It was sideways. I want to say you might've had the lower lip, but not any gills, yep. both hands yeah. on the lower lip. So tell us like, okay, because so you're right. So many people are like, wow, I'm listening to the podcast and all the tarpon that Scott talks about. And I didn't know there were, I've had multiple people tell me, I had no idea tarpon, you could even catch tarpon in Texas. So they're, it's kind of like becoming a thing. They're learning more. They're taking your advice. They're trying to catch tarpon. They're seeing the signs. They're doing all that. But the key thing, take us through, okay, you got one. You know, now what? What is the proper way to do it? Yeah, you want to wear them out. And, uh, but you want to fight them on heavy enough gear. You know, you, you fight them on really light gear, and you don't, you don't fight them hard and fast and get them in quick. Now you've tired them out so much, they're shark bait. Yeah. Uh, so you want to – it's a delicate balance. I mean, you, you can't bring a green one to the boat and yeah. try to land it. But at the same time, you don't want to just completely exhaust one. They'll fight themselves to death. Mm -hmm. uh, so you, you want heavy enough gear to get them in, keep the rod low, horizontal to the water, fight them hard, go the opposite direction, whichever way they're going to go. They're running left, you pull right, pull down low. Uh, that kind of breaks their breaks their will a little bit and gets them to the boat quicker. Now that they've gotten to the boat, they'll lay up on their side when they're ready, and they're you pull them alongside the boat, parallel to it. I will. I've got gloves. I've got really you know some good good heavy duty gloves. I reach out and I touch the leader. I, I slap the leader once or twice because if he's not ready, as soon as you touch that leader, he's gonna freak out. And, <laughs> You don't want to be grabbing a hold of them when they're freaking out. Yeah. So you've got them to that point. They'll be sitting there and they'll they'll open their mouths real slow and easy. They're you know they're gasping a little bit. Yeah. That gives you the opportunity to reach down there and if it's a big enough tarpon where you can get both hands in there, use both hands. I lean over the side of the boat and I make that grab simultaneous with both hands on the bottom lip yeah. as tight as I can get it and hang on. Uh, one of them will freak out at that and just go twisting all over the place. The next one just lays still. Every, every tarpon's different. They all act a little bit different. But now you've got a good control of them. You can kind of steer them if you got both hands on that lip, and you can keep them from flipping and twisting around so bad. Uh, hold it like that. I get my customer over to the side, let them lean over the side of the boat with me and get somebody else to take the picture. Makes for a pretty cool picture. That was a great uh, one. I still remember that one vividly. Yeah, I mean, it makes a, a fine picture. It's not as impressive as when you hold it up out of the water and all that. You want to keep their gills in the water. You don't want to raise them up so high that, you know, that they start getting vertical and you start having the problems with the guts. Uh, get them unhooked. Hold on to that lip. And if, if, they're, if they're acting weak, have somebody put the boat in gear. And just very, very slowly move the boat forward mm -hmm. and hold on to that lip and run some water through them. That helps uh, helps get them revived a little bit. They'll let you know 
If yeah, you, ready, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. If they're ready to go, just like any other fish, if, if they're ready to go, they're going to go. Uh, but I'd never turn one loose until it pulls away from me. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to hold on to him. I could turn it loose, and I've you know I've seen it done where people turn it loose and they just sink. Oh, uh, that's that's a bad feeling. Yeah, uh, you wanted you want him to pull away from you, uh, but any fish that I mean, if you just look at the Florida regulations in Florida, it's illegal to take a fish out of the water over forty inches, mm-hmm. and I would love to see that law passed in Texas. Uh, there's really no reason for it. We don't. The worst thing in the world to do is to drag him over the gunnel and lay him on the boat. Yeah. You know, I've seen that picture quite a few times too. That fish is beat up. That's a pretty much a dead fish. Mm-hmm. And based on the research that's been done in Florida and other places, uh, if you drag that fish in there and lay him on that hot deck and it only seems like it's a, you know, a few seconds or whatever, but it's, it's minutes by the time you get him unhooked and, push back in the water that you've, you've hurt that fish. Yeah. Uh, and there's just no reason to do it. Now, the smaller ones, you know, the 40 inches and under, if you want to get a good picture with them, I've gotten several, you know, we catch some small ones at the jetties. I sit over on the side. I've got, got that fish with one hand on his mouth. I've got my other hand under his belly. I'm just waiting for the opportunity. And I tell the customer, Get ready. I'm going to pick him up. You're going to hold him real quick like this. We're going to get pictures, and we're going to put him right back. Yeah. And the whole whole thing takes 30, 45 seconds. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all one smooth move. Get him up there. Hold him horizontal. Support underneath the uh, guts. One hand on the lip so he's not flopping. And get the picture, and we'll get him back in the water. Yeah. Uh, Dean, you were nodding your head a lot during that whole, that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, another thing I was thinking about, you know, uh, all those things of course um, are absolutely true, but then we have the hot water issue right now. The water is so hot that these fish are worn out. The um, speckled trout that we've had, you know, that are the big ones that are really picture worthy that we're going to release. I put them, I keep them in the net beside the boat, take the hook out and then pick them up. I mean, snap one quick picture and go back to the side. And I mean, even as quick and as simple as that sounds, man, they go belly up. It's really difficult to release fish in this heat right now. And the heat in South Texas summer is extreme. This year, we're taking it to a new level. So the released fish, I mean, I've had to take extra precaution on release days to just get those fish super fast picture and back in the water. And even then it's tough, man. So yeah, yeah, with the big ones, it's the same game. They're tapped. The oxygen levels aren't there and releasing fish to um, thrive. uh, It's a challenge in August, man. The only other thing about this that I'm thinking about as I'm listening to you guys with regard to trout, obviously we love boga grips. You know, they're versatile. They're easy. They can weigh the fish and all that. Um, the only thing I want to add, and I want to get your thoughts, Dean, is you don't have to know how much each fish weighs, you know, uh, you really don't. And the boga grip is just as, is, is good for a, a horizontal picture. You don't have to just, exactly. it, you don't have to hold it right. upside down. I mean, uh, lengthwise. So bogas are awesome. I've used them. They're great during little tournaments and stuff, but you, they're not necessarily, they're not, you can use them sideways and you don't have to weigh every fish. That's exactly what I was going to say. The boga. I use it for photos a lot because 
it's uh, it holds the fish from and so if you're taking the picture and they're holding it and the fish jumps out of people's hands and then it hits the deck of the boat and flops around that does not help the, yeah. <laughs> the release ratio for the fish either <laughs> so that's what we do we grab it on the boga put a hand under the belly hold it up sideways picture and then straight in the water so yeah it does help for taking the picture, but the you don't want to hang the them up by their picture. joke. Yeah, plus we don't you hang can, them. Plus, you can hand the boga over to someone. Exactly. To more, exactly. A, lot, a lot easier than the fish. You know yeah. what I tell people that we use it for? To subdue the beast. The beast <laughs> is going crazy. And I'm like, hang on just a second. I have a tool for this. Yeah. And then once we get it all under control, quick and easy photo. And then, yes, um, back into the water. Scott gets this look on his face that he still has something he wants to add to what we were just talking about. And he's got that look on his face right now. Well, right now we're catching a lot of bull reds at the jetties. It's, I mean, everybody's doing it down here. If you've looked at any of the Port O'Connor stuff, everybody's catching bull reds. And I'm seeing a whole lot of that on the bull reds too. Uh, With the boga upside down, I mean, lengthwise. Yeah, massive bull reds being held out of the water way too long. Uh, I was out there the other day and watched watched a boat and they pass that fish around pretty much everybody on the <laughs> boat to get a picture of it and then they, they put it in the water and the thing went belly up and then they you know they had to chase it down and it was floating off and they tried oh. to catch it and flip it back over and i don't know if that fish actually made it or not and uh, the bulls are coming up from the depths and if they yeah. don't release the, the bladder uh it, that happens way too many times yeah they go belly up because they don't punch a hole in the swim bladder. It, yeah. Even on the jetties right here in Port Aransas, whenever they're caught on the bottom, they swell up from the depth. Yeah, um, the good news is these fish are mostly on top. This is a, oh, a big top helps. water feed. And yeah. so it, we're not having that problem, but they're they're holding them out of the water way, way too long. Yeah. And uh, yeah, spending way too much time getting pictures. On, yeah, when they're schooling on top, that definitely helps. Yeah. But we see a lot of them come up from the bottom. And, uh, yeah, they do puff up. One other thing I'm seeing on that too right now is a whole lot of people are keeping these, you know, they're yeah. everybody. Yes. We have a tag. I get it. We got a tag for bull reds. That doesn't mean you have to tag a bull red. You know, I don't know anybody. If, if you've ever eaten a bull red, we couldn't do anything with it. So we ate it, but it was not but great. What happens is people, think they're going to eat it and then as soon as they cut it open they realize what a bad idea it is because <laughs> it's just it's just it's mush inside of them is what mm -hmm. it is it's not the firm flesh that you want to prepare to eat so yeah um man i i see that often man people get starry-eyed the porteranza's jetties are crazy it has beautiful access you can drive right up to it and you can catch bull reds all day long and i watch people carry them off the jetties and it's like you're gonna you, regret that i mean but maybe maybe i don't know not for me Definitely. no no <laughs> i mean when you when they cut them open then they realize it's just not what you're expecting yeah um, and so, uh, speaking of, uh, the proper tool, we're talking about the boga. Um, I want to get into two more things here before we get into what would Scott do and, and what would uh, Dean do. Uh, but all that stuff, it's perfect, uh, segue to anglers anonymous, um, who has all that stuff. I was talking to Mike, uh, not long ago. Um, and I think he had a picture of like 
15 or 20 bogus that he posted that he just got a new shipment. So uh, that ties in great for our, our listeners. And of course, he's got your DOA. He's got that wall of DOA. I know they're doing well, Scott. Yeah, he just did a reorder. Yeah, yeah. I know they're doing well. Same it's, thing with the knock and tail, which I use a lot. You use the DOA and I, I like those as well. Um, uh, so yeah, he's got a reorder. So you can go over to Anglers Anonymous and Katie and get that. Pick up some OG sauce. He's got some of that. I know people like that. And uh, the knock and tail, if you don't want to go to Anglers Anonymous, go to mycoastoutdoors.com. Uh, our guy, uh, Micah Krolik, uh, he was at ICAST. So I'm going to try to get him on. Uh, he said there's a lot of really cool, there always is, but he said there's a lot of really cool stuff that was at ICAST. Did, did Camille go to ICAST this year? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah she uh, was, she was sure out there. We might have to get her on uh, and, and get some of the, or at least get some of the details of some of the cool new stuff. But he was out there knocking tails. Uh, did great. You can go to mycoastoutdoors.com, bite me 20, get you 20% off. All right. Two that I definitely want. We don't always get to all the topics here, but two that I definitely want to get to. Uh, the first one was a question from a listener, and um, he said, quote, I, I heard John's story last week about the stingray, and it made me think about how many expensive lures I've lost just cutting the line, um, and for other reasons. But uh, is there a safe way to release stingways rays without losing your gear or going to the hospital? Uh, we've all had that. I, I have one of those long, long hook removers, like long, like 16, 18 inches long. That's all I use, but I was being very, very careful. That, that uh, ain't long enough. It ain't long enough. <laughs> My son, you, I, I'm sure you heard the story on the podcast, uh, Dean, but for those who didn't, um, uh, so he was wade fishing good four or 500 yards away from me. And I'm just casting, you know, popping around on the, on the, the polling, uh, excuse me, the, the power pole catching fish or, or trying to catch fish. I caught a stingray, good three foot stingray. I mean, it was a healthy stingray. So I'm messing with it, trying to bring it in for a long time, finally get it to the side of the boat, put that long hook remover in there. And as I shake it and the hook comes out, I realize my son was about five feet on the other side of where I put the stingray in the water. And he did, he did the freeze tag thing. He even raised his arms. I said, why are you raising your arms? It's underneath the water. He goes, ah, <laughs> and so he stood there for a good five. I mean, I felt awful. But I did. I did reach for my camera to take a picture of him, which he didn't appreciate. <laughs> he didn't appreciate that either. <laughs> but uh, okay, not exactly the best parenting I've ever had. So, but anyway, they heard that story last week. Um, other than maybe putting a bullet in its head, uh, what, what is the safest <laughs> way to release uh, a stingray? That was the safest I could figure, and that's what I did. <laughs> Scott, I'll start with you because Dean's laughing. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's. You just gotta be careful with it. You cut the line more often, because that's what he said he does. But he's tired of losing expensive. I don't lures know how people are catching that many of them on lures, because honestly, I I can think of maybe once or twice in all my years that I've caught stingrays on lures. I it caught just, one last weekend on yeah, a lure, but yeah. it just doesn't really happen all that often. So mm -hmm. my loss of lures well, to to be fair, he said and gear. Small. He said and gear too. But but anyway, what? And I mean, the longest, if it's a hook, I'm cutting the line. Bullet yeah, stick. I'm going with the bullet. <laughs> it's the bullet in the head. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if it's you can handle them. I mean, you know, hold. I was. I, I'm so scared of those things because I've heard your story and others. I'm like, I yeah. I mean, part I've, of that. I've experienced the bar bend, and uh, I don't want to do it again. But <laughs> man, I caught a hard head on a topwater yesterday, and I was scared. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the, um, 
the stingray i mean that, that's kind of interesting that it, that you know happens it's it's not the, and i i can't even remember the last time i had one hit a plastic you know even the most likely scenario i would think of is where you're weight fishing the drop-offs and you're just really bumping the bottom and working those that, well that's what that's i was gonna, doing but from the boat i was power pulling you know kind of hopscotching but um man no matter what kind of hook or what kind of bait leads you to going hand to hand with a stingray those things are vicious they're violent in nature they're just aggressive nature they don't roll over and let you take care of business they um actively seek you out and target <laughs> body parts they're vengeful so they're they're <laughs> There's man, there's no good answer to that question, man. Yeah. Um, I would say cut the line and cut your losses on the lure. Yeah, I mean, I mean 100%. If it's a hook you know, for sure, uh, yeah, I'm cutting the line, and, or you know, it, the bullet is um, <laughs> you, you like know, the hey, bullet idea, and, and some people um really like to eat those things. I mean, I've heard I have never eaten one myself, but I hear more and more stories about people cutting the wings off of those things and eating them and so i don't know maybe i'm missing out on i've something. heard that um that in some restaurants um when they don't have scallops yeah they cut, they cut scallops out of the meat on on stingrays yeah so, um i mean the guys on the beach there's a lot of beach guys that catch them they actually cut the wings off they throw it in the cooler um the people that I know that have done it have claimed that it's really, um, really delicious. I don't know, man. I'm uh, maybe I'm missing out on the boat. I had some people on the um, on the boat the other day. Whenever we hooked that hardhead, they were from um, either Indiana or somewhere in the Midwest, and they couldn't understand why we that catfish wasn't going in the cooler. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just politely explained. I said, "This is not like a blue cat from the Mississippi <laughs> River. This is different." But you know, um, I, I imagine it's edible. We may be missing out on a great yeah. catfish fry. Yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> I think I'll pass. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, we, we got did... a good gaff top bite the other day while hey, we were man. tarpon fishing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We were, yeah, we're throwing DOA bait busters and catching gaff tops like crazy on the beachfront, throwing at tarpon. We we're rolling tarpon. Yeah. And then we're getting thumped. And I'm like, all right, every time I'd see a thump, I'm like, all right, waiting for the jump. And then it would pull down. And I was like, oh, damn, here we go again. Yeah. Uh, we got schools of gaff top out here like crazy, too. Birds working them. And, um, yes, lots I was wondering of gaff top. If, I was wondering if you noticed that. I'm seeing more gaff top this year than I've ever seen in the past. Um, yeah, um, it, it's kind of normal. I mean, we've had out in the, um, the area between like the outside of Ransom and Dagger on the edge of the Corpus Christi ship channel summertime, you know, we go out there and we look for Jack Cravel and a lot of those things in the deep water and the birds very consistently. And I mean, every, it's a daily occurrence that you can go out there and throw at the birds and there's gaff top. So I don't know if there's really been more, but there's as much as any for sure. And then we've I, had I, random gaff top just in between, you know, blind yeah, cast yeah. and the drop offs. And then here comes old slimy. <laughs> I've, I've, I've contended for a, for a number of years that as much as you hate, like we were talking about stingers, hate stingray, as much as you hate hardheads, that gaff top are the most frustrating fish to catch because for, uh, uh, because they work under birds sometimes a lot of times and so they'll they'll frustrate you that way and for a 
for even as many as, as long as I've been fishing for a split second, well, more than a split second for about, you know, 10 or 12 seconds. When you first hook a, a, a decent sized gaff top, you do think trout like, like I, I still think, cause there's a little shake and it doesn't come up to the top or you're like, all right. So they're just frustrated. Cause then after about 10, 12 seconds, you're like, oh crap, that's a gaff top in there. <laughs> they're just frustrating to catch. And they're always make you think you have the state record trout yeah, because they're in the same areas and, and they shake like, a little bit at first and they hit it. And it's like, Oh, get the net. <laughs> Here it comes. And then you see the slime and yeah. then, yeah. Um, not an uncommon scenario for not sure. Yeah. No. Dean had one uh, in Florida one time. <laughs> we were fishing one of the yeah, tournaments over it. there and, Get I'm paddling the nearby, and he's he's hooked up, and it is bent over, and he's hollering, "Man, get the net, get over here, get get the camera ready, get the camera ready, <laughs> oh, get yeah. the camera ready." He's fighting this thing, and all of a sudden, he spins it around, he puts it on the opposite side away from me. Oh yeah, nobody wanted to, to see boat. that. I'm, I'm sitting there with the camera. I'm like, "Hey man, you gotta get on this side so I get a picture." He's like, "Nah, nah, man, no, nah, we don't need a picture." I'm like, "No, it's it's a little snook. I let it go. Just uh, a baby snook. That, that's all it was. Just just a baby snook." <laughs> Uh, oh man all right hey this is a this is a an important topic uh that that, that uh, we're going to talk about with dean and and scott now for for man, right now because i've we been were, waiting on this one you've been waiting, waiting on, on this one you got you got it in the barrel uh it's moon phases and tides and um why they are more important right now uh than any other time maybe even uh most other years uh so so i'll start with you but i know scott touched on this or and caleb last week or the week before uh, but the moon phases and tides, why are they more important right now than ever? So I've had this conversation a lot the last, actually probably a month, maybe even more, dealing with the temperatures on the flats. And so we've been fishing every day because it's just crazy busy this time of year. I have people that just want to fish and I'm constantly, you know, explaining the scenario and why things are changing throughout the month. We have the full moon, new moon. And then the quarters in between where the tides change every week. But there's factors that coincide more with the summer moon than with the fall and the winter moon. The fall and the winter, you have a better attitude of your fish. You have fish that are feeding. You have better optimal conditions for fish that want to bite. So here we are in the summer. Um, and when you have fish that are lethargic, when you have those factors of the full moon and slack tide, the heat actually compounds those problems. They mm -hmm. make lazier fish. So even so like this week, yesterday, and another thing that it has been the best way that I found to describe it is inconsistent throughout the past month. So we're on the new moon or just past the new moon. We're coming up on the first quarter right now through the last week. We've had some really active fish in the morning, some topwater bites one day, man, some big fish. And then today we really struggled. I mean, a lot of rat reds, some schoolies, and then fish that would follow and follow and yeah. follow it right to the tip of the rod and would eat. So whenever you have the periods when you expect fish to be slower, you don't have good major feed and such where um, the conditions aren't in your favor and you have these hotter temperatures that coincide with that, it just makes things more difficult. 
it doesn't say that you it doesn't mean that you can't break those rules because we have good days mixed in but it is very inconsistent so when you have the fall full moon the summertime full moon equals ultra low tide so if there's no tropical activity if there's no outside influences the tide goes to zero when the water's out those flats are cooking in the afternoon because there's nothing to disturb that there's no clouds we haven't had rain since Jesus came. So <laughs> the um, factors that coincide with that make the summertime doldrums even worse. The fall, you have overriding things that help you get through those slow times that you can work around. You can fish later in the day. You can fish other major feeding periods that will help you bail out a day. But in the summer, you get the full moon, you got 86 degree water temperature in the morning when the sun comes up mm. and you got like literally one hour to produce. And once you get past that sun hits the water, I mean, you can look at the bait fish, you can watch them and you just get the feeling. And this is going to be a tough couple hours from here. So, so what are you doing? Oh, you just keep on grinding. You keep throwing. You just got a list of excuses um, that you get better at explaining why we're going to have chicken for lunch today instead of fish. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Scott, I know you, you touched on this because I think this came up when I was talking about all those slicks were popping up and maybe Dean will weigh in in a second. But that one day when I was, I was just surrounded by the most slicks I'd seen in a year at least and couldn't get a bite and I was trying everything and I was changing retrieves and it may have been, you know, already, you know, that, that phenomenon was happening, but your thoughts on, on the, the importance of moon phases and tides right now. Yeah. It, like Dean said, I mean, it's, it's an early morning thing. I mean, you can, you can bang out some fish by sticking to it all day long, but if you're going to get a decent amount of fish, you're going to catch them early. Uh, that first two to three hours i'm up on the polling platform so i get to watch them and i'm watching these fish first thing in the morning they're up on the edges they're cruising they're doing their thing everything's all cool they're feeding and then about 9 30 10 o'clock i start seeing these fish just easing over and snuggling down and mm -hmm. getting tight into the grass and then they don't move i mean i can pull right up on top of them a uh, customer i had out thursday uh <laughs> i spotted this fish and he said, I'm directing him to it. And he said, how did you even see that? I was, yeah. all I saw was his, I just saw a side fin, you know, just saw it kind of wiggling. Yeah. And he was just laying there in a little, little sandy spot right on the edge of the grass. And he drug lures by it over and over and over again. And finally he drug a lure on top of it and drug it across its back. And the fish didn't even move. It, it, I mean, they were, <laughs> they're done at, at that point. Hey, you might as well just wrap it up and head on in. Yeah. Uh, the strategy that I've been using is trying to find a flat that's adjacent to some deep, deeper water on an incoming tide. Uh, luckily, we've had incoming tides in the morning, and it's bringing some of that Gulf water that's a little bit cooler out of some of these deeper places and, mm -hmm. and pushing it up onto the flats. And that's extending it another hour, you know, yeah. another 30 minutes or an hour, hour and a half, the activity that's on those flats seems to be going a little bit longer than some of the back lake stuff. Yeah. yeah but other than that, 
I mean, maybe maybe go lighter, go, you know, smaller lures and lighter. Uh, we've had some luck with fly fishing, you know, because you can dance that fly right in front of them for a little right. longer. Right. They're just super lethargic. They're, they're not going to chase anything. You know, it's not like in the, in the spring, in the fall, and they're, you know, you've got, got that feed going on, and you can see a redfish charging something from three or four feet away. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen right now. Yeah. It's got to be right in front of his face. Uh, I liken it to, you know, if you unwrap a candy bar and set it in front of Dean, he's going to eat it. <laughs> but if you make him run down the block for it, he ain't going to. He ain't going to Rockport. <laughs> he ain't going to Rockport. There you go. Or Bush Light. Um, pop a top on that beer and, and set it at the end of the block. Let's see if he'll go down there and get it. Yeah, I don't know it's, about that. It's nature, is what it that's is called. nature. That's, hey, like Discovery mom, Channel stuff. You said your water temperature was 86. Yes, uh, up here we had 94 the other day. Oh, well, yeah, in the I mean, afternoon, um, it, in the it, afternoon, you can cook right? a fish out there. That, that's in the morning. This morning, so yesterday we had some really great cloudy weather. It never did rain. You could see it offshore. It was just depressing. But um, this morning, the water temperature was a little bit lower. It started at 82. So yeah. it's still hovering up well, there. that's like paradise, man. Yeah, that, that is paradise. <laughs> 82, man. That's hey, Wow. <laughs> and we got like, um, we got like chance of, if you believe the voodoo weather forecast this weekend, when you're down here, John, we have... Um, like a 50% chance of rain on Saturday morning. Speaking of which, you're good. That ain't you. going to happen. Uh, you're good, you, Dean <laughs> Thomas, uh, because uh, this is where we go to what would Scott do, and uh, in this case, what would Dean do? And and I did look at uh, at my app, um, and the, I, I, maybe I saw – I misread it. I thought maybe Sunday morning or maybe Saturday morning with a little slight chance of rain. But let, let's get to that, um, you know, help our, our listeners up and down the coast uh, and in other states as well, but uh, certainly Texas-centric. Um, hot, everything we just covered today, the styles of fishing, uh, the, the bite being uh, somewhat lethargic. Uh, but let's, you know, most people, Dean, I'll start with you. Um, most people, like you and I, if we go out Saturday and, and it turns off, and you know we'll just make the call right there whatever we got you know plenty of things to do most people don't want to fish for just two hours you know uh, if you're going to make the you know to, to take the time to go down there drag your boat from san antonio or victoria or wherever or if you're up on the upper coast you're dragging your boat to galveston or sabine uh you get it but you want to fish more than two hours so what would dean do let's say thursday friday saturday this week down in the lower coast you want to hit the the shallows early, the flats, um, drifting, topwater action, the sand holes and the grass beds have just been early morning. The, the mullet are there up on the shorelines. It's kind of interesting. I was listening to Scott there for a minute, you know, about the edges and stuff. And the last couple of days, the edges of the islands around here have been, you know, just covered with bait fish. Once we move out in the middle and it may have something to do with the temperature of the mud under the bottom and why they're hanging on the edges, but I would hit the flats early, do some drifting. We got a little bit of wind in the forecast, which makes drifting lovely. And then if you are going to grind it out for the day, you want to move to some deeper water, the drop-offs, the Lydia Ann Channel, like out around the lighthouse, the quarantine shoreline, the drop-off at BNR Flats, the outside of Ransom and Dagger Islands and stuff like that, where the flats, where the edge of the grass 
drops off to the deeper bays. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's really your best chance to, um, to find a fish that wants to play <laughs> the, um, the redfish are nesting up just exactly like what Scott said a minute ago, man, I have watched those fish basically go to sleep. They're on the cruise. They're on those edges chasing mullet. The places like the last couple of days, if anybody has been following along with my pictures, those big reds that we've caught have all been mixed in with just active schools of mullet within 10 feet of a shoreline, which is kind of against the rules for us. We have all this beautiful seagrass that grows in the middle of the flats, but the bigger fish have been chasing these mullet up on the edge. And that's, a, I mean, that's a whole nother subject that we could talk about in the future. You know, do you get there in the morning after something crazy happened overnight? What put all these mullet on those shorelines? What are they running from? What have they been hiding from all night? And so you get there in the morning, you get an hour of chasing that action and you can literally see these swarms of mullet that have been pushed up on the shoreline. It's like, man, did we just get here at the end of something really crazy? Did we yeah. miss something? So, you know, um, but for the, the, the day, you know, hit them early, hit the grass and then move out to some deep water later in the day, you know, go subsurface, some soft plastics in four to six feet of water. All right. And that's, what, that's what we're going to do this weekend. I'm Just good. Good. Make a note. By the way, um, you know, I was telling Dean uh, and, and Scott knows this, you know, I, I got my place down in Sargent. Love it. Love it to death. Uh, I've been in Sabine, been in Trinity. Now I'm Sergeant for the last couple of three years. Love it. But, you know, we go down to Rockport every year, uh, maybe more than once, but every year for at least a week. And, you know, my wife doesn't really fish, but she likes going out on the boat, likes, you know, the, the outdoors, she's kind of earthy, kind of hippie. Um, but she doesn't, there's not a whole lot like that in Sargent, you know? Uh, so every year we go, she gets a little closer to, well, maybe you want to move your trailer down here. And I'm like, oh, Rockport, I don't know, but Rance's pass. I'm telling you right now, Dean, we might take a little uh, day trip. My uh, my oh, wife yeah. and I started looking for places to put my trailer down in Aransas Pass and got to keep everybody happy. On Saturday evening, we're going to do a little cruise out to our little um, our little beach that we go sit on. And uh, yeah, man, you might as well just hook up your trailer and bring it with you. Uh, <laughs> so I'll just leave my trailer there and yeah, worry about the rest yeah. later. All right, Scott, yeah. what would you do? I'll kind of the same thing. I, I'm going to go to the back lakes early you know get into this uh, there's some small shrimp back there red seem to be hitting on them pretty good uh, that's going to last for the first two or three hours and uh, my dog really wants to go you can tell <laughs> uh, <laughs> gonna hit that and then i'm gonna slide out there onto the flats that are adjacent to some deeper water and kind of pull the edges and see see what's going on there and if i were going to stick with it all day i'd start drifting some deeper water off the edge of those flats yeah uh, or, or maybe just head on over to the jetties speaking yeah. of dogs uh, go, go do the jetties. <laughs> gibson says hello uh yeah 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 dean i was i was asking dean i said you know um kind of want to bring gibson down uh you know he's you know just just but it's fine if he doesn't 
And, uh, and he goes, well, as long as he's not chewing the, the door handles off, I'm like, uh, he's 13 years old. He's got some bad legs and, uh, he's very well behaved even when he was a puppy. So no worries on that with old Gibson. He'll be fine. Oh uh, man. Good. And just so you know, man, I saved my bot, my empty bottles of OG sauce for a deposit. I'm going to send them back and get them refilled. Oh, done. <laughs> we, we, we can, we can take care of that. I, don't know if sure. I get it. I get a nickel for the bottle. <laughs> just like the old days. Go to the corner store and get a brand new pop, as we used to call it. Man, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, boys. Uh, that's a fun episode. Uh, looking forward to the weekend, um, and uh, looking forward to catching some fish, as I always am. New venue this weekend, so that's always good too for me. Uh, Captain Scott, uh, let's not forget the Bite Me Gear is at scottnollphotography.com, as is your great uh, photographs of wildlife, uh, etc. And uh, slowrideguide.com. That's it. That's Slowrideguide.com if you want to get uh, with Dean and, and hook up a trip right there, as, as many have. Uh, so we will uh, we will have a good time. We'll give you a report on that. I'll see. I'll tell you exactly what would uh, Dean do if it worked uh, next week. Uh, until then, you guys catch him up. Uh, we'll talk to you next week, and uh, we'll see you then. <laughs>